Hello and welcome to Sketch Therapist. I'm Roisin Curie and this is the podcast that improves your sketch life. In today's episode, we're going to talk about feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Do you know, I have felt the fear. I really have in terms of in terms of sketching in public, um, in terms of speaking in public. Oh, my goodness, that is so terrifying. But you get used to it and you really can get used to anything and that happily includes sketching in public as well. Even though the first couple of times you do it, you're going to feel really frightened, especially if you're on your own. Well, you might not feel frightened, but I certainly did. And I remember the very first time I went out to sketch on my own. I mean, it wasn't like I had a commission or anything. I was just going out just to go and do it and see what it was like. And I was in Mauritius um, and I'd only been there a few weeks at that stage. I was so tentative about leaving the comfort of that, the villa where I was staying and going out onto the streets. And I tell you, it's it's quite easy for me looking back to tell you what exactly I was afraid of. I was afraid of the the, the, the natives themselves. I was afraid of the people. I was afraid of the people. And I think that is a very normal, it's a very natural response to think that other humans are frightening or dangerous or scary but I tell you what they're really not they are really really not and I know because unless there's something about me that I don't know makes people not want to maraud me in any way but really I've been on my own out in the streets in the countryside so many times it's got to be in the thousands at this stage I've never in all those times I've never had any any threat whatsoever from anyone. So the first time I went out, I I could feel my heart beating like mad. I really couldn't get a grip on my calmness, if that's a word. Uh, What could I not get a grip on? I couldn't get a grip on my my runaway emotions. So heart thumping away in my breast, really blood running cold. I mean, come on, I was overreacting, but still, I really was full of fear. Um, that first day, I think I've spoken about it in one of my very early episodes. But that first day I went out and I was there sitting by the side of the beautiful turquoise lagoon. It was sometime in the afternoon um, on the island of Mauritius. And a street sweeper approached and she stopped. And all she said was, Vous dessinez la mer? Are you drawing the sea? And I said, uh, yes. And she said, mm-hmm. Elle est belle, la mer. And that's all. That's all she said. The, the, sea, the sea is beautiful. That, that's what she said. She smiled and went on her way. And I thought, mm, that, that, that wasn't so bad. But it didn't, it didn't end there. I, I, whilst that was very nice and very sweet, that wasn't the end of my feeling fearful. So my little technique in the ensuing months in Mauritius, well, for a while anyway, until I, I, could, uh, I could throw off the, the training wheels, so to speak, I used to have a great big straw hat on with a really wide brim and I used to have um, some earphones plugged into my ears and I'd be listening to Mauritian radio the whole time. <laughs> Got to know all the jingles and stuff. And uh, and I would have dark sunglasses so that I could sort of cast my eyes down and look at the feet of whoever stopped to talk. And there was loads of people who stopped to talk. They're a, they're a very sociable, interactive bunch. And I kind of look at the feet and go, mm, do they look like, a, do they look like a, an attacker or a marauder? And make my judgment on that 
I have no idea if that's a, a good a good yardstick, a good measure. But I never had any trouble. And on the contrary, um, most of the time I met lovely kindness, actually. People bring me food and drink. Now, I did meet a couple of creeps. I don't mean like, you know, uh, threatening creeps, just full of stupid nonsense chat. But like, that doesn't really matter. It's a bit annoying, but it doesn't really matter. Sure, only only a couple of days ago, I was sketching in Spanish Arch in Galway. I was beside my mum. Tell you more about that in a minute. And we were sitting on a big stone bench in Spanish Arch, which is, um, which is right on the river in Galway City. There's a kind of a small open plaza there, and a big load of bikers uh, drove in, and they're all very, 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 uh, they're all very kind of you know intim- intimidation and scary, but um, in their in their leathers. Or at least they were trying to be. But there was a guy sitting beside me and he was foreign. Now, I don't know where he's from. He might have been German. He might have been Dutch. He might have been Swiss. And he had another foreign friend. I don't know where he was from. And the foreign, the other foreign friend didn't say a word. But the first foreign friend, he his English was excellent, unfortunately, because he was obsessed with Formula One racing. And all he did for the entire three quarters of an hour that I was sketching was drone on and on and on about how everyone thinks that Renault blah 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 is the this and the the other everyone like everyone doesn't think no one vast majority of people in the world don't think about it at all but uh he was spouting away with his facts and figures about Formula One and who had a 20 second lead in this race and who turned out he didn't have a valid driver's license in that race and it was really, really getting on my 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 nerves of my ears, and uh, it was so so boring. It was like torture, which I'm sure is what I sound like to many of the people who are in the vicinity of me and my chat with my friends at times. But you know that's that that's as bad as it gets. Being bored out of your mind by someone's by someone's conversation, really. I I I have never had anybody kind of like, hello, lady. No, no, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Not really. Unless bringing me food and drink is 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 kind of a preemptive kind of a a gamut for that gambit. Um, but <laughs> all I've ever ended up with is a nice cup of tea and a nice scone or a nice bottle of water when it's really hot or some nice. Uh, I had homemade uh, homemade Indian sweets once in Mauritius. That was really nice. Made by the uh, the chap in question. On the day. Oh, and I had homemade samosas as well in Mauritius given to me for sketching. What else have I had from sketching? I've had, ooh, I had a, a meal offered to me in um, Nemo's in Ardbea down at Spanish Arch. That was in my very, very first year as a sketcher back in 2012. The manager, Aideen, was so impressed. Or she Aileen? Might be Aileen. Eveen? I can't remember. Eveen, I think. Eveen, she was so impressed with um, the fact that I was sketching her place. She invited me for lunch. And she told the staff to bring Roshan whatever she wants. So that was lovely. So yeah, on the whole, uh, not even on the whole, invariably, invariably, people are absolutely lovely. So that's as far as, oh, let me just tell you about the bikers. So the bikers were there with their Harley Davidsons and the Harley Davidsons were all lined up. I mean, I don't know if they're Harley Davidsons, but, you know, they were the type that fellas sit back um, on those little leather seats and they have their arms above their shoulders height, you know, with the handlebars, they're way above their shoulders and they make that noise <laughs> when they when they when they drive up and they've all got wrap around black sunglasses all and they've all got long straggly grey beards all of them and they nearly all of them have mohawks and um 
they are all very, very, you know, serious macho guys, very tough guys. Um, and these guys had black leather jackets with, what did they have written on them? Um, might have been Bandidos, Bandidos Ireland. And one of them was taking a photo of the group sitting on the steps. Oh, and they all had leather trousers, um, leather boots, obviously, and leather kind of biker waistcoat things. Like, I know why you have to wear leather in a motorbike. Unfortunately, I know only too well because I used to ride a bike when I was still a teenager and didn't I take a spill in it and bust up my knee. Um, That was back a good while ago, neither today nor yesterday. Um, And uh, if I'd had leathers on the bottom half instead of just windproofs, I wouldn't have bust open my knee the way I did. But uh, so I know I know that the leathers are there for a very good reason. But one one of them was taking a selfie of the guys. And it was so funny because they couldn't smile. Obviously, they couldn't sort of, you know, gurn for the camera and smile and go cheese and everything. So they had to look really, really cool. And uh, they look great now. Don't get me wrong. They 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 did. They look very great. And in fact, even though I'm 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 kind of being a bit scoffy, I actually would love to be in the middle of America somewhere on a Harley Davidson and uh, giving it loads of, you know, petrol into the into the badlands or something wouldn't that be cool i don't know maybe it's a bit too noisy for for some people so anyway there's the feeling of fear in terms of the strangers and what they may do to you which is nothing except bring you food um but there's other kinds of fear that you feel when you go out sketching one of them is the fear of letting yourself down that when you start to draw you won't be able to get it right and that's a horrible feeling that is a horrible feeling because you feel, oh, I'm so crap at drawing. I'm so useless. Uh, I just can't get this right. And it's frustrating, but it's more than frustrating. It can make you feel dejected and a bit useless. OK, so I do. I totally get that. And, you know, I will tell you about that in another situation, which I had. Um, But you can also feel very embarrassed if other people are watching. That's a horrible feeling if my work is terrible compared to everybody else. Um, and I know you might look at me and go, yeah, when are, you, when are you going to feel embarrassed about your work being terrible? But whilst my work on the whole tends to come out the way I want it to come out, even if sometimes I think it looks a bit boring, but on the whole, you know, my shapes are the shapes I want to make because I'm a long time at this and they do tend to come out the way I want them to come out. But that wasn't always the case. And a few years ago, I was giving a workshop in Galway and uh, just before I started the paper that I had been very used to using um, became discontinued. The company stopped making the paper like that and they, they changed it. They still produce sketchbooks, but they changed the, the paper completely. And I had come to rely very heavily on that particular type of paper for my sketches to look what I considered to be really good. And I felt really shocked when they took the paper away. I'd finished my last sketchbook with that paper and I went into a bit of a panic because I had all these people coming in from abroad for a sketchbook, uh, for a, sorry, a sketching workshop. And one of the things they would be doing would be watch me do a demo. And the demo was going to have to look good because otherwise, you know, I wasn't going to impress them and then they wouldn't trust me and, you know, want to take on my tips and techniques and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I couldn't find an alternative. And you know what? There isn't a happy ending because the workshop arrived. I couldn't find an alternative paper that I really liked. I had to do the demo in front of all these lovely people and my drawings were hopeless. They just didn't work. They looked terrible as far as I was concerned. And yes, people were like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But, you know, I do think that it's likely they're going to say that regardless, because really the work was not. It was not what I consider to be my, you know, standard 
It really was pretty hopeless. I was very, very embarrassed. It was a horrible feeling. And I know sometimes you can just sort of brazen it out, fake it till you make it and all that stuff. And that's what I do now. If something goes wrong, I am so used to thinking on my feet. I can, well, I was going to say I can change it to my advantage, but I would say I'll even go further than that. Once you know that you can turn around, you tend not to mess up because I suppose the confidence kind of carries you through, if you know what I mean. So fear of embarrassment. Now, I, I will say to you that you can get used to anything. You will get used to the passers-by looking over your shoulder. You'll get used to them starting a conversation with you. You'll get used to feeling nervous and anxious about them, you know, hovering nearby and about your work not being good enough. You'll get used to that. You'll get used to feeling like your work isn't really as good as other people's in the group. If you're doing a group thingy, you know, you will get used to it. You will get used to it. And I can tell you, I'm going to give you two examples I'm thinking of two students and they're both more or less at the same level. They both uh, love painting and love colour, um, but do struggle with making their lines go in the place where they might want to make them go. One of them is delighted with herself, um, not because she thinks that her work is amazing, but because she absolutely loves the process and is just so delighted to sketch. The other one is crushed by her, what she perceives as her lack of ability. They're both far from as inadequate as they think they are. They both make beautiful, and I mean it, I mean beautiful, colourful and delicate drawings and sketches. But the self-perception is everything. It really is. And you know what they say, if you believe you can, you're right. If you believe you can't, you're right. Although I don't know if that really applies here because even the ones who believe they can't, a lot of the time their work is really gorgeous. Now, it mightn't look like a bravura, that's not the right word, a virtuoso, whatever. It might not look like a really, really polished, skilled piece of, um, let's say, photorealistic stuff. But that doesn't matter at all. All that matters is that you are enjoying yourself. And if you're not enjoying yourself, well, then you have to. And if you still want to keep up your, your sketching activity, then just keep searching until you find someone who can show you some way to approach it. Um that you can access. And believe me, there are lots and lots of ways. And I will offer you um, some ways to approach things, maybe um, maybe in another week, because I, they, they will take a little bit of time. But I think that there are lots and lots of ways to approach sketching in such a way that you are not going to feel the fear of embarrassment because you'll, you'll be proud of it. You'll be proud of it. So, yes, having to wrap it up, I would say that feeling the fear doesn't feel nice. It's not comfy. It's you're leaving your comfort zone. That's the whole thing. But that world out there is so full of cool things, even small little things. So lovely, so beautiful things that you'd miss if you weren't out there. So get out of the studio and get out there. You won't regret it. I'm telling you. Over the last couple of weeks, I've spent a lot of time in Galway City because I have been running a couple of workshops, a couple of urban sketching workshops. And I've had two wonderful groups of people with me over the last two weeks. I got to know lots of people from all over the world. And it's one of the privileges of my job is that, yeah, I, I see them on Zoom. I see their faces, but then I get to meet them in real life. And you know what it's like? It's like reading a children's book. And suddenly the characters come to life. That's what it feels like to teach people on Zoom for a couple of years. 
and then for them to walk into a restaurant where you've arranged to meet, it's really, really special. Can't recommend it highly enough. But because I've been in the city over the last couple of weeks, I have been witness to some nice little sights and sounds. And, you know, there are really small little moments. They're insignificant little moments, but they're beautiful little moments. And I wouldn't have seen them if I wasn't sketching. Now, sure, you can see tons of lovely special moments sitting there, you know, on a bench doing nothing at all. But you're more likely to be there for a rather long time if you happen to be sketching something. So I'll tell you a couple of the very small little insignificant things that I have seen upon my my outing, my outings as a sketcher. The one I think is probably my favourite was this little girl. She would have been about seven. Um, she had long, dark brown hair in two pigtails, two plaits hanging down her back. And she had on a uh, little dress that was in it was striped but the stripes were they were rainbow but the rainbow stripes were pastel so you know that kind of fabric you can picture it sweet little girl um, and she had her back against a pole a, a, a lamppost outside St Nicholas's Church the other day um, and she what she did was she wanted to swing around the post so she took her two long plaits and she wrapped them around the post with her back to the post so that so that her head was was you know fastened to the post um and then she held on to the ends of her plaits and that meant that she could swing around the post without falling off <laughs> it was so cute my mum was with me and we just really enjoyed looking at this little girl um so my mum Cinny was with me for the uh the most recent workshop I did and you know it takes a lot of humility I think in a parent to say to their child, okay, teach me, teach me what to do here. It's, it's, it's been really, really nice. And I will also add that her best work was done after I was off the, off the clock this afternoon. Um, sorry, not this afternoon, yesterday afternoon, we were sitting, um, together at the, uh, at the long walk, sitting, sitting on the, um, on the West Bank, I suppose you could say, the West Bank of the River Carib, looking over at the long walk, the row of colourful houses, um, and mum did a gorgeous job. She did a really, really nice job. So uh, so somebody said, hey, your mom is doing such beautiful work. And I said, well, I'm not going to look because I'm off the clock. I'm not looking. But when I did look, she had done a gorgeous sketch. She'd kind of done a very um, wet on wet kind of sort of a very soft sky. But it was full of different colours of blue and even like little bits of kind of purpley colours as well. But the way she had used the watercolour, it was lovely because... There was loads of cauliflowers, loads of blooms, and it was very, uh, it was very, very artistic. It was very watercolory, and she'd done something similar with the water. And then for the houses themselves, all she'd done is an, just one simple pen outline. She didn't even color them in, and it looked amazing. You could see the sky through the through the houses, and it looked really, really good. And we were there till like I don't know half past five, I think. Maybe no. Do you know what? It was after six. It was after six. We were there till after six. Um, and the work the workshop had been finished at around the half one, two o'clock mark. So it just goes to show how you lose sense of time when you're sitting in front of the uh, of the subject that you're sketching. So that was one little thing I liked. The little girl, and of course sharing the uh, experience with my mum and all the other um all the other students. But the other thing I liked was this man. Okay. So in the workshop, uh, sorry, in the, the workshop, in the market, in the market. So I love watching men 
take their kids to the market or to go shopping because they have a completely different way of being with them than women. So for starters, they're they have a way more laid back approach with the child. So it's really strange to watch because the child, the child kind of is on an elastic, an invisible elastic from the parent and doesn't really go very far. But the mums get way more paranoid, way more quickly that the child is going to run out under a car and the men just don't. So um, you can make up your own mind as to whether that constitutes bad parenting or not. But the men sometimes seem very distracted. Like, dare I say it, they can only concentrate on one thing at a time. Maybe we all can, I don't know. But I saw a man anyway yesterday in the market and uh, he had uh, he had two little boys. They would have been about five and about seven um, and they were, you know, malarking about. And then he was pushing a buggy with a dear little girl, little plump girl of about one and a half. OK, maybe one. And uh, all three of the little kids had a carton of apple juice and an apple. So they were eating an apple and sucking on a carton of apple juice or maybe the only the baby had the juice. Um, And the little boys were poking and messing with the baby while the man was trying to order his bread from the bread stall that I was sketching. And he was really concentrating on what bread to get. And the little kids were just doing their own thing completely. And uh, the little boys kept taking the baby's apple and letting it fall on the ground and then feeding it back to her because they knew it was germy and dirty because, you know, (laughs) they're little maggoty little boys. And the baby was wise to this. And even though she'd been enjoying her apple up until then, she slapped the apple away and said, "Eh," and she didn't want the apple. But the... uh, the man, the man was finally noticed what was going on, and uh, he just said, "Seriously, lads, you're wrecking my head now." <laughs> it was very cute. It was very cute. Uh, last week in the market, similar thing. A dad with two adorable little girls. One of them was only barely walking. She would have been about two, just over two, and you could see her nappy um tucked in, like her tights were little pink woolly tights over her nappy. It was the cutest thing with her little waddly legs, and. Uh, she had uh, he was that was at the juice stall and the dad was making juices for everyone um but the baby wasn't given juice she was given a cup full of chopped fruit that was about to go into the juicer but they figured she'd she'd get on better with the actual solid bits of fruit and like that she she was dropping her bananas on the ground and putting them in her mouth afterwards the man didn't really notice and um the older little girl was wandering really quite a long way from the man oh she was so cute she would have been about I suppose about three, but it was just really fascinating to see the difference in the approach of the dad with the little ones compared to the approach of the mom. So like it's completely different, really. Go out and watch the next time and come back to me and tell me if you think I'm wrong. But uh oh, Ruben's going to go out and bark. I think he heard a crow or something. Yeah, there he goes. So anyway, I want to come on to the next thing, which is a subject that I think you might find useful. And helpful. And no matter how much fear you're feeling, I think this is something that you can do and enjoy doing. And you don't have to feel like embarrassed because you can do this without anybody watching. Um, and you don't have to feel bad for your own abilities because it might be tricky enough in some ways. But I'm going to do what I can to tell you how to cut to the chase and make a decent, decent job of it. And that is sketching a cup of coffee. So let me just first of all clarify the cup of coffee that I have included in today's little illustration 
doesn't have any coffee in it. Okay, I drunk the coffee. It was a cappuccino and it was delicious. And it had sprinkly, chocolatey bits all over the top. And it was just right. Hit the spot nicely. But by the time I did the demo for my students, the coffee was drunk. So what could I do but sketch the cup? Now, when it does come to sketching coffee with coffee still in it, I always sketch the coffee first so that I can then drink it immediately when it's still hot. Um, And and it's it so happens that the colour of the crema, the kind of frothy coffee bit, is very well represented by yellow ochre. And it so happens that the uh, that the darker little bits of coffee, um, the kind of liquidy bits that you see, are very well represented by burnt sienna. And the chocolatey bits are very well represented by burnt umber, especially if you keep it nice and concentrated. And you can even have fun and flick it on at the end. But the most important thing you have to do when it comes to sketching a cup of coffee is think about the ellipse. And that is the circular top of the cup as seen from the side. So it's going to be flattened unless you're looking directly over it. It's going to be flattened. It's going to be squashed. And I'm going to just tell you there are a number of errors that somebody will very often make when they're trying to paint an ellipse of a cup. Okay, here's the first one. Before I tell you what those common mistakes are. I advise you, rather than jumping in with fountain pen, which I do all the time when I'm drawing coffee cups, I'm going to suggest you try and get that shape with watercolour. Okay, just watercolour in the brush and in a nice dilute way. Now, I do jump in with pen first for my ellipse, but I make a mistake nearly every time and I just have to live with the wonky ellipse underneath my corrected ellipse every single time every single time. But if you if if you don't want to make a mistake, then I suggest you make some nice dilute watercolour. It doesn't really matter too much what colour you choose. You, it, hard to go wrong with a very, very dilute paints grey. Or you can do some kind of a brown because you're probably going to be doing the coffee on the top or the hot chocolate or the tea or whatever it is. So just make sure it's very, very dilute. Make your shape on your page Make a shape the top the top uh, the top of the cup of the cup of coffee or a cup of tea, whatever it is, um, with your brush. And if you make any mistakes, if it's lopsided, just quickly wash away the bit you don't like with fresh water, and then you can dab off the page with a piece of absorbent paper. Um, I always say don't let the tissue paper touch your 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 page, but this is an exception. You can use it to sponge off your page your paper so that you can get back into sketching, um, more quickly. So that's the first thing. The ellipse. Now, ellipses, this is one of the mistakes. Ellipses don't have points at the edges. They have curves. So you might think that an ellipse goes into a point like an eye, you know, an eye shape with two points on either side, but it doesn't. It just doesn't. So don't put any points on the sides of your ellipse. Make them rounded. Okay. And practice it. Do a few of them. Do a few of them till you feel you get it right. And do it in nice light paint, as I said. The next thing you need to know, even though you're not on it yet, is that the bottom of the cup the round shape at the bottom of the cup matches the curve of it matches the curve of the top of the cup okay it is not flat and that is sometimes in a way a little bit counterintuitive because your brain is telling you the bottom of a cup is level the bottom of the cup is flat but when you see it from the side it is not flat it is not level the curve of it must match the curve of the top of the cup in fact it's even a tiny fraction deeper because it's a little bit lower down. But we're not onto that yet. For right now, we are doing the ellipse shape, the top of the cup. You don't have to bother about doing any um, smeary coffee bits left on the side of the cup just yet. 
Now, what about the sides? Okay, so on one side, I'm going to arrange the cup so that I can see the handle. I'm not going to, you know, sneakily push the handle out of the view so that I don't have to do it because it'll be far more interesting if you do the handle as well. So you're going to bring your line so that it touches the outer edge of the ellipse for the side of the cup that doesn't have a handle and give it a nice sort of flourishy curve for the side of your cup. I'm talking about a, a kind of a teacup shape as opposed to a mug. Um, but you, you, you obviously make the shape according to the cup that you happen to be drinking out of. Also, what I'm going to refer to is a cup with a saucer. But let's get on anyway, because I know a lot of people don't use saucers when they're at home. I certainly don't for the most part. Uh, okay, so what about the side that does have the handle? Again, you'll bring your line up to the farthest, the outermost edge of the ellipse and bring it down just a little bit because you are going to have to put in your handle. And again, I like to use a watercolour brush to make the shape of the handle because you will give yourself a better chance of getting that nice flourishy look. But here's the funny thing about the your typical ceramic handle. It's got a flat top and then it's got a curve around the side. And it's probably got a little depth to the handle itself. I don't mean from top to bottom. I mean the depth of the actual ceramic that makes the piece of, of clay that makes the handle. So you've got two planes. Um, you've got the top side of the handle and you've got the side of the handle. So just watch out for those with your brush. Watch out for those um, and look for where they tail off into a point according to what side you're drawing. Now, I don't tend to use a big pen line for the different facets of a handle because it's just too heavy. It's just too heavy. But what I will do is make that curve for the top side of the handle, make another curve to match on the inside of the top of the handle, if you know what I mean. Just look at the drawing of the uh, for the illustration of this, this, this episode and you'll know what I mean. And then you'll draw a little bit of a vertical to do the vertical as element of the handle and then swoop it up and around and follow the shape of the handle all the way down to the point where it meets the cup. So you've got a top side and you've got a side side. And once you've got those in, once you've got those in place nicely, then you can fill out the edge of the cup. So now you've got both sides of a cup and a handle. But what you don't have so far is light. So before we get onto the light, you'll just finish off the ellipse that I referred to a minute ago, the ellipse at the bottom of the cup that matches the ellipse at the top of the cup. So our cup is closed. We haven't done a saucer yet, but the cup is closed. It's looking good. But we want to make it look realistic. So what I do is I squint at the cup and I look for the highlights. It's ceramic. It's 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 a shiny, smooth surface. It's going to pick up pops of light. If you're in a cafe, it's highly likely there'll be some artificial light shining down at your cup. So you're going to take your skinniest little pen you're going to flick it around to the reverse of the nib where the line is super, super skinny. And you're going to circle out those highlights on the on the little handle and on the cup where you can see them, where the light is catching them. You can do this with watercolour if you like. You can circle off these shapes with paint. Just make sure to blush out that paint so that you don't end up with a, um, how could you say, a hard line. We don't like hard lines in watercolour, not really. Well, we do sometimes. Um, but in this case, we like to be in control of hard lines. We want to put them down only when we mean to. So the reason I will circle off my highlights is because I find it helps me focus when I'm painting in the cup, not to paint over them by accident, over those highlights. Because the second you touch the highlights, the white page of the highlights, the second you touch them with paint, that's when you lose all sense of shininess of the ceramic finish. So be careful. Be careful.
Okay, what else do you have to do? All right, you have to distinguish between reflections and shadows. All right, so let's put in the teaspoon. There's usually a teaspoon sitting nicely on the side of the saucer, touching the cup. And if you're lucky, there might be one of those little bickies in a wrapper. Don't they call them Biscoff? I think they call them Biscoff. So I personally love drawing the shiny bits on the wrapper. Again, I circle them off with my fine side of my ink pen or my pencil, depending on what, what I'm using. But whether there's a little biscuit there or not, you're probably going to end up drawing a teaspoon. So it's a question of good observation. Look out for foreshortening with your teaspoon. Rather than draw a typical teaspoon shape, you know, bent at the bottom, dipping at the bottom and curving up and then down again try and draw what you see try and draw exactly what you see check your points check your points in relation to the handle check your points in relation to the saucer draw out your sauce your 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 teaspoon and then when it comes time to put in your saucer check the point on the cup at which you start to see the saucer okay so that's just a little bit of a a reference point method i suppose Okay, so there you go. So now you've drawn your saucer, do it in pen, do it in brush, whatever whatever takes your fancy. I always recommend the brush first because, again, if you make a mistake, you can just wash it away and start again. But it's more than that. A nice pointy round brush, such as my favourite, the Rosemary R13. It's, it's a lovely, roughly size 8 brush. It's a synthetic and natural fibre blend. Um, it keeps a beautiful point. Um, and if you push it down just a little bit when you're making a line with it with it with that paintbrush you'll get a slightly wider line so you can get a very very expressive line with the paintbrush it looks it can look fantastic all right so you've done all that then the next task you've got all your lines and you're very happy with them your next task is to look for darks and lights you've got your highlights you've got your highlights and you've sort of given them a little break into proof barrier What's the word? Uh, I can't remember the word. But anyway, you give them a little barrier, whether that's done in a very fine line of pen or whether it's done in paintbrush. Your next job is to look for the rest of the lights and darks on your ceramic. All right. So you need to do that and you need to squint, 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 squint at your cup, squint at your saucer. And the darks and the lights will separate into their basic shapes and you'll be able to see them without all the other complications getting in the way. And then you're going to decide in your cup, your the cup, the color of your cup. I was lucky in that mine was really quite suited to paints grey. But you know what? All this talk about painting cups, I'm really tempted to go and do another one now. In fact, I just might do that, um, in a nice little cup and saucer with a teaspoon. Yep, with a teaspoon. Um, I I, I like painting stainless steel teaspoons. I like deepening up the paints grey, to make to show the dark of the of the steel and leaving parts of it bright white to show the shine. But you know. We inherited, my, my family and I, we inherited some golden teaspoons from my dear mother-in-law. And I am very tempted to, to, to try out the colours for a golden teaspoon. Do you know what? I also have some fancy cups and saucers. I'm going to go and have some fun. I am. I'm going to go and make a beautiful painting of a cup with roses on it in a beautiful saucer with roses on it with a golden teaspoon. I shall have to make myself a transparent cup of tea with no milk. I shall report back. Anyway, there's your cup and there's your method. So think about the ellipses. Think about the shapes of the ellipses. Think about the shapes of the highlights. Think about darkening up the areas that look like they need darkening. Now, the next thing you need to think about with your cup and your saucer are is shadows versus reflections. A reflection 
is the the dark area, the reflection of the subject, of the object you're drawing, of your subject, on the surface upon which it, which it sits. So on a shiny wooden glossy table, you have a nice reflection that falls deep into the table surface. You may also have a shadow. You may also have a shadow cast by the electric lights. So it's the shiny table is giving rise to the reflection and the electric lights are giving rise to the shadow. So you could have a shadow at any angle. You could have shadow coming off to the side, depending on where the lights are. You could have the shadow coming right down vertically, depending on where the lights are. But the reflection is always vertical, always vertical. So that's how you know the difference. One changes and one is always vertical. So look out for the dark patches underneath your coffee cup um, and under the saucer. And you decide for yourself, because it might not be straightforward, whether it's a reflection or whether it's a shadow. So it's highly unlikely that any any uh, dark areas cast by the handle onto the saucer are reflections. They're, they're shadows. They're just shadows. Make your shadows nice and dark using Payne's Grey. Make something beautiful. Make something clean. Something something dark. I think we've got another bark coming up again. Reuben heard a tiny little noise. Hmm. He had a good long walk this morning. Maybe he's okay. So shadows versus reflections. Know the difference. Know the difference. Uh, you can get both. Or you can get just one, depending on the, the the setting. So even if you're drawing a boat on the surface of water, you can get a reflection of the boat on the surface. And you can have strong sunshine that actually throws a shadow to the left or to the right of the boat itself. So there you go. Those are a few tips for drawing coffee. Oh, didn't I say I'd talk about the coffee at, um, inside? Well, if all you're left with is a few smears along the sides of the walls of the cup, well, as was my case there when I painted the cup in this particular illustration, I just did my best to put in the streaks of yellow ochre that were left behind. Didn't really go to town in it. Now, the sketch is unfinished. I only did the right hand side. I didn't really put much effort into the left hand side, but I kind of like it that way because it shows very clearly that it's a schematic and that it is really just to show you a few principles. So even if you're feeling the fear, even if you're lonely, even if you're having a no friends Sunday, which I've had many a time, um, and you're sitting all on your own in a cafe, um, and you've got nobody coming along that you want to sketch, or you're feeling too intimidated to sketch them, which is most of the time for me, because, you know, who wants to sketch someone who might turn around and, you know, gaze into your soul at any moment? Mm -hmm, not me. So there's always a cup. And the cup won't object. The cup will be more than willing uh, subject and usually comes with delicious coffee in it before you start sketching. So very much big praise time for sketching cups of coffee when you're out and about and get used to it. Get used to it and the fear will fade. Well, I hope that you give sketching a cup a go. Now, a couple of announcements. Very exciting news. I have been teaching children on and off for many's the long year. Um, my eldest is now 22 and I started, I think I was seven months pregnant with her when I did my first uh, teaching class of kids. So I've really enjoyed it over the years. But for some reason or other, I don't know, I stopped. Um, but I do love the age group, particularly ages 8 to 12. It's one of my favourites, 8 to 14. Below the age of 8, sometimes they're a little bit uh, less than, what's the word, coordinated um, with their paintbrush and their paints. And over the age of 13, 14, 
Well, sometimes they want to do other things, but they're all very welcome. So what I wanted to do is start a new art class on Zoom for the said age group. All right. So you can judge yourself what you think your child is suitable for. It's going to be on a Saturday afternoon. It's go- the Irish time. It's going to be after my adults class, which is in the early afternoon. And here's the thing. The subject is going to be Irish wildlife. So your kid, if they're Irish and they love to draw wildlife, that's what they're going to do. If your kid is not Irish and they love to draw wildlife, well, I'm sure they'll love drawing owls with rats in their beaks and shrimps in rock pools and, I don't know, fish attacking what? Other fish? Crabs? I don't know. I'll have to find out. I'll have to find out myself. So it's all going to be very, very dramatic and hopefully very beautiful and above all, very educational. It's also going to be very reasonable. Um, I haven't worked out the final price yet, but I want to tack on a little extra to uh, contribute to the conservation of wildlife. So there will be a little extra tacked on. But other than that, it'll be the same incredibly low price that I always charge for my adults, which is five euros per glass, which no one can complain about, I think. Okay, I'm going to do them month by month. They're going to be every Saturday and you'll be able to buy a block of a month's worth of glasses per at the beginning of every month, if you get me. That way, um, that way, if there's some reason that I can't do a Saturday because my classes are always live, then it doesn't get complicated. So that's what I'm going to do. So that's um, that is announcement number one. They're going to be coming up very, very soon. I shall make them available on my website, roisincure.com, R-O-I-S-I-N-C-U-R-E.com. They're going to last 90 minutes. They're going to be recorded. So even if you're at a time zone that doesn't cope with uh, a 4.30 start, um, or even if 4.30 Irish time, that's GMT plus one, even if your child is doing something else in at the same time, which is often the case, um and maybe you even then then you can look at the recording and maybe you might I don't know stick the stick the child in front of it um if they're up early on a Sunday morning and want to be creative with their with their hands they're going to need a set of watercolors and now more about that for adults and teenagers I have a new watercolor class coming up fifth to the ninth of September and I have mentioned this many the time in the podcast up until now there's still a few places left so don't delay it's it's you've only a week left before it starts same deal uh five quid per class so it's 25 euros for the whole week and it is again 90 minutes long each class they're on from what is it one to two thirty irish time um every day next week the 5th to the 9th of september and the reason i'm seeking with that particular one is because both the kids classes and the adults classes will be using the same paints the paints i recommend are the van gogh uh, set of half pans, the 15, really important that you get the 15 pack of half pans, not the 12 pack, not the 12 set. Um, and they are made by Royal Talents. They're called Van Gogh half pan or something like that. But they come in a white plastic box. There's 15 paints. All the colours you need are there. Um, and you're, you're going to need a little brush as well, whether you're attending the adults or the kids class. I still have a few sets of Van Gogh in stock. If you DM me through Instagram, uh, we can set up a, I don't know, Revolut or something. I've got one of my customers just done that um, and she's getting them sent to her. So be quick. If you need a set of paints, do not delay. If you've got a kid or if you know a child 
who you think might enjoy this. I think they're going to love it, actually. I'm really looking forward to it. I want to draw owls with rats coming out of their beaks and shrimps in rock pools. Um, I don't know what else they're going to draw, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So there you go. Those are your two announcements. I can't think of anything else. All the news will be on my website, roisincurie.com. And one last little thing. There's going to be a workshop announcement soon. Uh, Dublin, Dublin. And it's going to be in the middle of winter. So end of January, start of February. There's going to be two workshops, two in-person workshops for very small numbers of people. But I will I will announce them when I have them up my website. I will announce them formally and you'll be able to book. OK, guys, I will leave it at that. And uh, hopefully something there will interest you. And that brings us to an end of this episode of Sketch Therapist. Loads of stuff today on feeling the fear, doing it anyway, and uh, doing a thing that doesn't require any bravery at all, which is sketching a coffee cup. I was trying to make clear the connection between feeling the fear and doing it anyway and sketching a cup. And I don't think I really got it, um, got it clear. So that's the connection. The fact that it's just not scary to paint a coffee cup. I don't care how scared you are. It's not going to be scary to paint a coffee cup. Um, but it's great fun to be out there. And the good news as well is that keep your ears open and listen out for conversation. And you know what? Even if your drawing isn't going well, put the conversation you hear in little speech bubbles. That's what I do. It's great fun. It's great fun. So there you go. That's it. Um, hope there's something that you liked in it today and I wish you as always happy sketching